Yo, 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 welcome lads and lasses to the new Motorsport Junkies podcast. This podcast is all about motorsport, any types of motorsports from F1, F2, all formula, WRC, WEC, rally, all of that. We're going to start a new episode off today with the Outlap. Today we're going to be talking about the F1 return, that crazy first round, the F2 start. That was amazing. Three different winners in three different races. That was amazing. A lot of incidents. So many things to talk about. Then we're going to talk about the Bristol delay this weekend. I'm gutted that they delayed it, but I'm excited to watch it soon. Then the MotoGP. That was insane. Down to the last lap for the podium places. That was awesome. Yeah, enough to talk about, as you can see. Uh, I think the main um, motorsport this weekend has been F1. And um, the title fight, uh, the potential title fight between Verstappen and Hamilton, was it a good race? Yeah, for sure. Was it uh, a fair race? Was it fairly lost for Verstappen? Let's have your take on this. Um, honestly, right, the way I see this is uh, that the way it works, right, the way they shaped the regulations for that weekend was it's completely fair. They told the drivers they can cut unless they get a lasting advantage. And they specified a lasting advantage is if you gain a place, right? That's a lasting advantage. That's what they meant. So that's the rules they applied into that. So when Lewis Hamilton extended, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was allowed till they changed their decision mid-race. And even some team principals decided that, oh, we want to go ahead and like change. This doesn't seem really fair. But down to the point where Lewis was cutting... It was completely legal, and he eventually stopped. Yeah, like, but uh, what do you think, Ron? Personally, I think um, <clears throat> it was fair. It was fair. It had been more fair if Verstappen slowed down. Like if he if he gave a little bit more trouble to like stay in the track, uh, so like if Verstappen would have slowed down more on the exit, yeah. And Lewis would be al- would be still alongside him, and he wouldn't really get the biggest advantage from it. Will. Right now he got like a big uh, advantage, like I don't know a few seconds, cause no, not a few seconds, but like at least a few tenths, like four tenths, something I'd say. And as lo- as, mu- as much as I want Max to win, I think it was completely fair to let him pa- to let Lewis pass. And um, yeah, it's uh, just a shame for Max, but in the end, it's fair to let him go. As uh, people might say, Lewis. Went uh, too too often over the off track. In the end, he didn't make the pass there. That was for Steppen, and he knew, and the team knew as well. That's why they told him to let go. Yeah, and uh, as well as the fact that, um, of course, Lewis went out of the track, but that was completely inside the regulations for that weekend. Because of course, right, the rules say something, but the the stewards will change this. They will kind of bend it to different corners. And that's what they did throughout the weekend, and they confused a lot of people. And the rules throughout practice and quality were extremely different. But uh, another thing I realized, right, is the way, Lu- uh, the way Max let Lewis by was extremely incorrect, right? So Max went off to the left to the marbles to let Lewis by. But what I think he should have done, I think he should have slowed down on the line by lifting and let Lewis go on the marbles. Because when Max went on the marbles, he ruined his tires a bit. 
And of course, we saw that, uh, I don't know if it was a lockup, but he went wide in one of the corners and started to lose grip because he went on the marbles, of course. But yeah, honestly, I'm looking forward. This title fight's going to be intense. This is going to be the closest since 2016. Let's hope for that. Yeah, let's let's hope for that indeed. Um, I think Red Bull is currently, with the current regulations, Red Bull is the closest they have ever been. And that's quite clear. As much, I, I think... The thing that affected Mercedes the most is the regulation change they shoved in after last year. The um, rear end has less downforce due to uh, a change in the floor, which affects Mercedes cars the most because they uh, use less rake. Well, Red Bull, cars as Red Bull, AlphaTauri, um, I believe Alpine does use a lot of rake as well. They, they uh, tend to have more rake, which might uh, have given them more um drag on the straights they do have um a higher amount of grip on the rear end and you saw the two boat messages uh, struggle a lot during both preseason and uh, during practice and quality with the rear end and um spare and the um, that was the biggest space loss uh for Mercedes. it's definitely not the engine the engine is still as strong as it used to be but the middle sector, which is often critical for a lap, because if you make a mistake on the middle sector, you lose out the most. That's why they lose out. And that's why I think on circuits as uh, Silverstone and Monaco and Suzuka, the Mercedes might have it tough. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, Mercedes, one of the biggest F1 teams, of course, they're going to be like working hard. Like right now, as we speak, they are working hard to like, try to make their car higher rake like the Red Bulls because let's be honest here, they have the better engine. Um, if they can develop the same rake or something like that, they'll get better downforce levels. And because they're faster, they'll be like they're, they have a better engine, they'll be faster in the straights as well. So all they need to do, in my opinion, is just higher that rake a bit. They'll get better rear uh, stability. And uh, I think they'll be able to like, you know, they'll do their normal dominance. Like, uh, you can even see that Aston Martin or the green Mercedes is even struggling from that low-rate concept. And Obmar Safnar has also said that they've been struggling and that the regulations favor the higher-rate cars, uh, like the uh, Red Bull, the AlphaTauri, I think the Alpine. Just, uh, yeah. As a Merc fan, it kind of hurts me, but uh, it's great to see the sport closer. Yeah, I mean, I think the Aston Martin is really unlucky this year with um, with the, the fact that they took over a lower rate car. As you said, they have a uh, less uh, bigger disadvantage. But I think hiring the rake does not solve everything for Mercedes. Like, of course, uh, it's it's simple to say like hire the rake, but uh, the center of gravity changes, and if you know, I, I assume you know that um, the higher the center. Of the, center of gravity the worst uh, what do you call it the weight distribution will be and uh, you don't want a, a bad weight distribution because that will make the car unstable so you get an unnecessary mess as well yeah exactly like um, uh, what I meant is when they hire the rake of course the team like a team like Mercedes like such a big team I think they'll be able to like of course it's gonna take them a lot of time I want to say half the season or more to like figure out how to implement a higher rake, how to uh, distribute the weight like better, how to uh, improve the front wing. They might even have to ditch their whole like aero concept as it is, right? 
But of course, as an F1 team, you're willing to make these changes to like be back at the front. I think changing the whole aero package for only well a half a year is not worth it. Like, for uh, if you if Mercedes keeps taking the same concept they normally take when it comes to developing a car like the pattern, then they'll stop developing after the summer break because you know they know it's in the bag. They can well sit back and just focus on the new regulations. Now I'd probably uh, I assume. The um the bigger teams are already investing in how are the new regulations? How can we save maybe costs? How can we uh, make it as efficient as possible? So the new regulations definitely show uh, a big uh, hit in the normal pattern, in the normal pattern of Mercedes. Yeah, just the thing about what you said there, I don't think they're actually. Of course, as a business, you're always trying to save costs, but. I think now, uh, before it was like about saving costs and having the best like car possible. But now it's actually about, of course, the higher teams used to spend 400 million. Crazy numbers. So I think now uh, what will happen is they'll just figure out how to distribute that money. Like, uh, honestly, I think this is really good for the future of the sport. Like, um, of course... Uh, teams like Mercedes, they weren't even making that much of a, like, they didn't have that much of a profit margin. But now, since the budget goes back, this gives them a chance to, you know, have more higher profit margin and more uh, teams might enter the sport. I saw something online that, honestly, I really liked. It's about kind of dodge entering F1. Like, of course, that won't happen. But how cool would that be? Like, a team like Dodge just entering F1, that would be insane. Uh, a team as Dutch is an interesting one. Like I don't, I personally don't see uh, an American teams uh, join very fast. I, sh I mean, you can look at the house right now, which we will talk about later. But the American teams, I, I don't pers I personally don't see them really enter Formula One in its current state, and maybe not, maybe after the engine freeze, but not uh, like with the twenty twenty two regulations. But some teams as Porsche, um, and the Volkswagen group, it was. They they showed a significant interest in the sport after the engine uh, regulation, like the engine freeze in twenty twenty five. So that might I think it's more worth to keep an eye out for the Volkswagen Group if you're into the European sports because they might enter a high class of racing. Of course, the uh, the you know the Volkswagen Group. Uh, uh, I've seen something that they've committed to all electric sports. Uh, is that not right? Like uh, Formula E and stuff like that. You see Porsche in Formula E, and uh, but really the idea behind Dodgers, they've spent they spend billions on like advertisement and stuff. So th they have the money, but I don't think they have the interest. Like, it, it's a smart business decision, but it's hard as well. It it will be know. somewhat ironic for Dodge to like join the F1 right now, because uh, considering. F1 is currently using a 1.6 liter V6, it was, I believe. Something like it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't see Dutch uh, be fan of a V6. Then they'd probably need a V8 just for the irony. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's again, the problem with Dodge trying to enter F1. You see, Dodge makes engines that are literally illegal to use in road cars. So I don't think they'll be joining the sport anytime soon. Let's talk about Haas. We talked about already the American team, the, the, the team with two rookies, the controversial team a bit. Is it undrivable or is it just saw the inexperience of both drivers? Like Nikita Mazepin went off in the um, in the third 
corner. And uh, Mick Schumacher went off in the fifth corner. A uh, fourth corner, as was, actually. Uh, uh, yeah. It was a disappointment, definitely, especially for uh, a, a, a small team as Haas, which has experience in the sport, like they have been in the sport since 2016. So they definitely know how to build a car. Not a fast car, maybe, but they know uh, what to expect a bit and the cost, maybe. Is this the bad start for Haas that they definitely did not wish? Yeah, I think this start for Haas was horrible. Gunther's definitely going to be fuming. But, um, of course, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions because, of course, they have two inexperienced drivers. This is, I think I saw something like it's the first time that it happened or it hasn't happened since, like, Toro Rosso. But, um, of course, the the inexperience plays a big role. Like, they, but the thing is, like, they both like dropped it under acceleration. So I can't really like tell. Is it just them getting too like one of the commentators said like throttle happy or trigger happy? Or is it like the car is really hard to drive and like they expect one thing when they go on the throttle and then the lack of downforce just, you know, hits them and you know, kind of lets go. Like uh like we've seen with Nikita, of course, like as you have more downforce, it pushes you onto the track more. And I think that I'm pretty sure that gives you more grip. And, you know, of course, when you're accelerating, you need grip to actually go out of the corner. And, you know, it could be it's undrivability. It could be that, um, you know, it could be just rookie mistake. But uh, I don't think, have you seen a spin from uh, Schumacher throughout the quality and the practices and the mm. test? Uh, not exactly as how Mazepin, no, definitely not as often as Mazepin, but I'm sure Schumacher went off at some point, uh, but um, I don't remember exactly where, but I'm sure I've seen him off at some point, but um, yeah, the thing is, the, these drivers uh, have maybe too little experience, um, as much, as long as they, they both show extreme pace in Formula 2, otherwise you don't win races there. But, uh, and I, I don't think uh, someone as Callum Island would uh, do much better either. Like, that's not lack of talent. That's just the car being weird to handle. So, as much, uh, the, the drivers can be as fast as possible as they want in F2, but I don't think they can really score a point with the Haas. Yeah, the Haas was hard to score points last year, especially, like, you see Grosjean celebrated a P9, which isn't something usual for them. They used to celebrate P6s, P4s. Like, they used to have great results, and they just took a nosedive, and especially now, um, uh, especially now since they're focusing on 2022, which is smart, but, you know, they're ruining their 2021 season, and this is the first year for their two new rookies. That could mess up their rookies, and that could mess up, like, Gene Haas could pull out of the sport. He could sell his team from this year. But uh, as we were speaking, I pulled up a post from Grosjean accidentally. <laughs> Uh, I think, but, well, as you said, um, Toro Rosso or Afatari is the last team to, and the most known team to use uh, rookie drivers. But I think the difference between those teams is Afatari slash Toro Rosso is meant to, um, like, you know, support rookies and help them out with the car. Uh, it, uh, they used to be the minority, and then they become the junior team of Red Bull. And they've been doing the junior programs since quite uh, since when was it? When did I start the Toro Rosso? Uh, two thousand six, I believe. Then they became yeah yeah two thousand six. They became winners two thousand seven. 
Uh, they, they began they began doing the thing the junior program in 2007 around this time. So they've been doing no, no. it for a long time. They've been doing it since 2006 during like the V10. Uh, it was called the STR1, Scuderia Toro Rosso 1. Yeah. It had the Cosworth engine. It was a V10, of course. Yeah, then that's, in, then that's 2005 already. No, no, it was 2006, the uh, STR1. Mm-hmm. It used the 2005 engine, though. But that, that shouldn't be allowed then, if I think about it. No, no, no. It, it was 2006, and then from 2007 to 2013, they used a V8. They just got into the end of the like V10. Yeah, era. but the V10 era ended in 2005. Are you sure? I'm quite sure. From, from what I look up here, it says um, 2006. Yeah, but like uh, um, someone... I'm quite sure the um, RB... What's the, the R26 from Reynolds? What had a V8 2.4 liter? Did it? Um, honestly, I'm not quite sure. From what uh, from what I've pulled up, uh, the, the preparation isn't the best year, but you know, we go as we move. This is part of the experience, production. You know? Production. Amazing production. But no, no. See, when I look it up, the predecessor was a Minardi PSO5. Which was the 2005 Minardi. Uh, yeah. So if the predecessor was the 2005 Minardi, that means the 2000 uh, the first year for Toro Rosso was 2006. Yeah, I, but I know that. But I think the engine was I'm quite sure the engine was a V8 uh, 2.4 liter. But anyway, that, I, that's maybe a bit more irrelevant when they started. Like it's more like they've done they've been doing driver programs for a long time. A long time, yes. So they they Around know how to develop the drive. Even though uh, Helmut Marco is there apart, and you do not want Helmut Marco as your, well, what would you call yeah. it? But wait, speak, speaking of the rookies, right? Yuki Sonoda. Legendary. What an absolute legend. What a chant. I am now a Yuki fan. What yeah, a guy. Yeah, he did uh, a very uh, knee job. He had, a, he had a bit of a struggle at the start, but he fought back re- really nice to uh, secure two points. He was P9, I think. Yeah, he was P9. That uh, was an amazing drive, man. Yeah, 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 very good. And then, like, beating your teammates in it, in the, your first F1 race, that's nice. Sure, but of course, you know, Gasly was a bit unlucky, but still, you know, these things happen, and beating your teammate is beating your teammate. Exactly. Oh, it's a long, he drove an amazing race as well, like, uh, you know. He was lucky not to have that... Fr- oh, no, no, it wasn't a front wing. Fr- he was lucky, just he didn't make contact with the guys ahead. He was... You know, he drove really well. He showed his uh, ability to get up to, uh, like, the speed of the car better than Schumacher, better than Nikita Mazepin. One year was F2, in F2 was all he needed, and he just jumped into F1. Yeah, it's amazing. As soon as he debuted, points finish. Uh, great drive. Yeah. And, you know, such a tight, tight field. That now, now here's the thing. I've already he- heard people say that um, Tsunoda is the one who needs to replace Sergio Perez. As soon as possible. Now, I, I personally disagree very strongly with it. Yes, like, look same. at uh, Pierre Gasly when he when he got called up in the mid of 2018 to drive in 2019 for Ricciardo. He could, he would not how Gasly did not do well in that um, Red Bull. <coughs> same went for um, uh, Alex Albon. Yeah, they yeah. both were rushed in the seat. 
And you can say the same. You can say Max was rushed into seats. Like Max, he had, Max uh, was rushed into the seat, but he he was an extreme talent. Like Max skipped GP two as a whole. Yeah. Came into F one and did amazing. He showed his ability to get up to speed with a much faster car. Like GP three to F one is not something you you just do on your daily, is it? No, not even uh, Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher did that. It's um, yeah. Yeah, he he did it. He went for the um, Formula Three. Was was it Formula Three back then? I think it was Formula Three back no, then. No, no, it was GP three back then. Oh, it was GP three. Well, like they, he just jumped. He impressed two races. Well, like well, he did more obviously, but he was really looking uh, above all during the Norris Ring, two thousand fourteen, I believe it was. Where where it was like soaking wet, like it's uh, extreme. Uh, the rain was extreme. And he somehow managed to clear that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's where, it's, where Helmut Marko thought, you know what, we'll just call this man, give him a few tests. But no one expected him to have a seat at 2015. I'm quite sure. No one expected it. Yeah, that was uh, an extreme surprise as well. And, for, like, what he's, like, um, from, you know, from what I see, he's, it wasn't actually called GP3, it was called European Formula 3. Yeah. Back at the time, so it wasn't even like uh, GP3, which was like even bigger. Like he was thrown into it extremely quickly, yeah. and but he was able to impress. Like you can see, he's an amazing driver. But I think the most uh, crazy part, I don't. I think Max came into for uh, European Formula Three like literally at the start of 2014, I believe it was like. In 2013 or something around that, it was like in the yeah, he winter. was in the case at two. Yeah, he was in case at two in 2013. In the at the start of 2014, he did the winter series with um, Ferrari, I believe it was. He even raced against Lance Stroll in the in Florida. It was, I'm quite, and that's where the like, Florida winter series. I yeah, think it's called. That thing, yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Max is an amazing, amazing driver. Like, what what he's been able to do, I want to call him, like, I don't want to call him, I don't want to rush into this and say one of the greatest. But he's, in, like, he's, when you're talking about best F1 drivers, like, in the past two decades or three decades as well, his name has to come up. I think you should consider him uh, second on the, second on the best driver list for Red Bull Racing. I think he's better than Mark Webber. Not better than... I think uh, he's better than Sebastian Vettel. Seb Vettel was dominant in his prime, let's be honest. He was dominant, but let's not forget, he had the best car on the grid. Yeah, yeah. For many years, he had the best car. Yeah, you that can say. 2010-2013 Red Bull was an amazing car. Yeah, right? but in 2010, oh. he wasn't really dominating. He was only leading in the final round. Like, that's literally where yeah. he got the... So. I'd say maybe just a bit under uh, Seb Vettel. I'd, I'd rate him there. Yeah, I'd rate them closely. If you put Max in that same car, he could win it. Like, not in the same car, but in the same type of like car where it's able to challenge at the front. Like, this year, I think he'll be able to do a championship. Well, or, like, win a championship. Let's hope it. Uh, I hope, uh, I especially hope Sergio Perez, who made an amazing comeback, can, oh, that... uh, can help the um, Red Bull fight for the constructors and help... Well, not really help, but like fight the Mercedes. Yeah, and from what I from what I've seen, um, Sergio Perez pushed to the front to the point where he was able to pressure. Okay, he was able to pressure the McLaren a bit, I think, worry Lando a bit, and 
if he didn't have to start from the pits and didn't have that early stop and didn't have that failure, I bet he would have been right at Bottas's tail and could have even been ahead of him. I think um, I think Sergio is the right teammate for Max right now. He's experienced. He is definitely fast. I mean, you don't win from last uh, last uh, up to the end of the yeah. lap to he's first. a proven race winner. Yeah, he's gotten podiums in cars that shouldn't have got podiums. Definitely, he's an amazing driver. He has extreme talent, and yeah. I think he's just been unlucky with his career to just not get that type of red ball chance sooner. Uh, but uh, finally. I mean... It's satisfying to see him back here. I think it's more that uh, Sergio Perez uh, just improved as much because in 2013 it was, he was with McLaren. I think I don't. The McLaren wasn't the best car back then, but it yeah, was, it was not. It was even, definitely uh, uh, a big midfield car back then. Maybe even like the gap between the uh, dominant car and the well midfield. I think like it was definitely it filled that gap up. Yeah, speaking of actually about like open wheel racing, right? Just a tiny subject I want to throw in. Did you know that Formula 3 in the UK doesn't use halos yet? And Formula yeah, 4 that. doesn't? Yeah. I that, that, that just sounds... No, no, Like, when you implement a safety feature and then don't give it to another series, that sounds stupid. I mean, is that, is that F3 series uh, linked to the FIA? I'm pretty sure... Uh, I'm not actually sure. I'm but, pretty sure it is, though. Yeah, like, like if, it, if, it, if it is, then it's a bit weird. But if it is not, then... I can somewhat see, like, of course, the Halo saves lives. We have seen that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the, maybe they think it's a cost, uh, it's too much of a cost to, like, apply a Halo, because a Halo is hard to manufacture. Yeah, like, like, okay, I want to be honest here, right? Um, I, you can't link a price to a human life right so oh, there's course, nothing course. about the cost like they should put the halo no doubt right but you know mm -hmm. kind of side sidetracking here i hope we don't have to use the halo we don't need to see the halo like being used in f1 this year like uh, i don't want any big crashes to happen of course it's there it's good but i don't want it to like actually need to be used <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? I think well incidents can are always prone to happen like it's a high uh, speed motorsport, you know. Yeah. Like um, an instant happens. The onboards don't do enough justice. No. But uh, no, an um, instant happens fast, and I think the good example of that is the F two race. Uh, races actually. F two race. Oh, they were they were almighty packed with incidents, overtakes. They were amazing. I thought it was NASCAR, not uh, F two for a second there, <laughs> or F one open lobbies. If oh you know no! Anything no about oh that. god! No! No! <laughs> nah, the F two. Yeah, the but um, the F two races. Let's talk. Let's talk about Dan Tictum. Amazing driver, extremely fast. He's very incident prone. Yeah, but he is extreme. He's inconsistent. Yeah, did he get a ban for straight lining someone at one point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. But he, he is an amazing talent. He uh, he won Macau twice, I believe, in the F3 yep. uh, thing. And, yep. uh, I mean, you don't win Macau without talent. It's quite obvious. Of course. But I think... You have to like... I, I think Dan Tictum is not necessarily dangerous, just extremely emotional behind the wheel. Like, he, get, he he's very uh, hot-headed. Angry. Yeah. He has anger issues. <laughs> Let's see, just say that. He's like a Max Verstappen just times 10. No, I think, yeah, you can call it worse. 
But I don't think he's he's as bad as uh, punching other. Did he punch him? I don't think he did. Who? Nikita uh, Mazepin? No, no, no. Uh, Dan Tictum. I was talking about. Dan Tictum. I don't think he's punched the driver. No. <laughs> he hasn't pulled the Mazepin. <laughs> <laughs> no, he. Uh, but yeah, he is. Sometimes he's an amazing driver, but sometimes he has those moments where you think, like, why did he do that? Like, was it really needed to pull that move? And the that was not necessary at all. The good example is uh, in the first race, the first sprint race. The on the the move on, was it Guan Yu Zhou, and then eventually he hits uh, for sure in the middle of it, like in the process. Yeah, I think it was a bit op optimistic. Very. He was like, definitely uh, not focusing on for sure. He was more focused on Guan Yu Zhou. Yeah. Those moments definitely happen in racing, like, even at a low, low level, even in, like, go-kart racing, you know, you're focused on one thing, oops, another, you see, like, another thing happen last second, you can't react, and, yeah. uh, you know, at a higher level, you really expect those drivers to be able to think ahead, but, you know, mistakes happen, and, uh, yeah. I think they need to move. Then the second uh, incident with the victim was in the second feature, right? Was it? No, it's sprint race. That was uh, with uh, Robert Swatsman. And yeah. that was not, on, I don't think really that was on Swartzman to be honest, uh, not, not on Tictum to be honest, I think it was more on Swartzman. Um, did Swartzman like go ahead of him and like disrupt him? No, it was, uh, then Tictum was on the outside, uh, in the yeah. middle was Lundgaard maybe, I don't know, I don't know who was it, there was some car in the middle, and then you had Swartzman on the inside, yeah? Yeah. Tictum tries to do a switchback on someone. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Swatchman was out of nowhere there. But I think Swatchman was way too... Um, optimistic. Uh, yeah, on the brakes. Like, the the best example on this incident is Malaysia, 2000, um, Malaysia 2016. I, I don't know if you remember the start there. But there we yeah. had uh, Nico Rosberg on the side, Sebastian Vettel yes. on the inside, and Max Verstappen in the middle. Yes. And um, Vettel went on the inside. Um... Collided there with Nico Rosberg, and Verstappen got away with it there. But I think uh, people blamed Sebastian Vettel at that time for that incident. So I'd say we bl the blame is for this incident on Robert Schwartzman. Yeah, we can definitely put that blame. But speaking of Schwartzman, speaking of Tictum, those two are, in my opinion, like those two are the championship favorites. Of course, Schwartzman was the highest finisher last season. He's shown extreme talent. He's a great driver. Like, he's the highest finisher that's still on the grid, of course. He has extreme talent. He's a good driver. Yeah, he's with a good team. I think if he does not carry the same bad luck that he's carried so far in these first three rounds, right, he can definitely do something amazing this year. Really, uh, you know, I loved his tribute like last year to his father. That was amazing. Um, I liked like his race wins. It, he he drove amazingly last season, so I can definitely see him winning. And of course, Tixum, he's incident prone. He's gonna have a lot of crashes. Like I, I have to say this now, he's gonna have a lot of crashes. But he's a fast driver, and on his day, he will definitely score a lot of points. So. You know, you never know what's going to happen this season, and hopefully it's a close fight. I mean, I think uh, what, what you said, Need Tictum is very instant-prone. We've known it from the past. But I think uh, if Robert Schwartzman keeps doing what he did in the um, third race, where he rear-ended... Um, uh, no, it was um, Nisa Nisani. Yeah. The way he took out Deladeda in the process. 
I think yeah. those are the moments where you think like that's not championship material. Like if you keep making those mistakes, and the same was in the second uh, sprint, in the second race. No. Wait, in the in the in the third race was it? Uh, didn't his like uh, they cut across him or something? Is what I remember. No, I, no, I'm quite sure he was behind him. Really, yo, yeah. I, I I remember now. He locked up into him. Yeah. Yeah. That was not the brightest moment of the race. Speaking it was about not. the lock up from behind, that's what what did Sebastian Vettel do? Honestly. Yeah. Like, the, the, he, he swapped in behind on Esteban Ocon. We're really jumping between two different races, but yeah, yeah. We'll, just, we'll just move, we'll just move. <laughs> yeah, same scenario. And he, he locks up, goes into uh, Ocon, ruins his ruins uh, his own wing, and ruins Ocon his space, and maybe a, a bit of a race. And he, he yeah. blames it on uh, Ogon. Those are the moments when I think, do you still have it, man? Like, don't get me wrong. I love Sepp as a driver. He's a great guy off track. We we know he's a g- good driver. But those moments are the things that, well, a bit crew says, these are the things that happen to Sepp for some reason. Really, uh, Sebastian Vettel, he's a fast driver. But sometimes, a lot of the time, actually, he's just not on his day. And he makes a lot of mistakes. And yeah. I just wonder sometimes, I question it, what happened to the Seb that we knew, the Seb that was comfortable in his car, you know? Yeah, I mean... Uh, it's shocking to see that from a seven-time world champion. And then um, on the radio, he said that um, Okan had cut across him, but, you know, you can see the onboard, and that clearly wasn't the case. And, you know, yeah. just not something you like to see from a seven-time world champion and one of the most likable guys on the grid, Seb. Yeah, well... It's a four-time world champion. I'm just correcting you right there, but you know. Uh, what did I say? A seven-time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a four-time world champion like Seb. Yeah, but I mean, didn't we say? Didn't we see Schumacher make a lot of mistakes when he got like uh, after his prime days in 2005, 2006? Quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, every every driver like makes mistakes. It's it's something that drivers do. Anybody can tell you this. Like it's it's common sense that drivers make mistakes, but. Seb is slowly getting to. You're making a lot, a lot of mistakes for someone who was in the, like in the like what do you call the sport for in life. the in the conversation of being one of the best. Yeah. Right, but of course, right. Speaking of one of the best, right. Who do you think is the best of all time in F1 so far? Uh, if you look at the uh, statistics, it's obviously Hamilton. If you look at the uh, dominance is Hamilton as well. Like, even uh, Schumacher didn't dominate as much as Hamilton did. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. Uh, see, this is the thing, right? A, pe- a lot of people say it's on the car, right? Hmm. But it's just not about the car. Like, uh, it's it's about consistency. It's about being able to deliver that week in, week out. Of course, Hamilton's still on that streak of, like, since Germany 2018 of always scoring points in every race. I think even now, it, I'm sure he, he even scored in Germany. To, uh, like, the offer Mayos got back then a penalty, I believe. Uh, did he? I, I honestly don't remember, but he's in a, he's been on a long, long streak. And um, honestly, I don't want to count uh, Bahrain, of course, the secure, uh, the secure uh, Grand Prix, because he didn't actually race in that. But we'll say every race he's raced since like 2018 Germany, he's had points in every single one of them. That's something that, you know, I don't think Schumacher did that. And of course you can see uh, this weekend, Hamilton broke a new record. He has the most wins, of course, the most pole positions, 
he could be in the challenge for most world championships, right? Mm-hmm. He has the most uh, the most laps led. He has so many different things, then, right? Uh, you know, fun fact: if Lewis Hamilton got twenty three more points, right, he missed out on twenty three points yeah. that could have made him a ten time world champion by now. Ten time. 10-time world champion. 23 points are the difference between three titles that he missed out on. Wait, which did he miss out on? Uh, his first season, which was 2007? Yep. Okay, season, yep. Uh, 2009, I believe, and 2016. Yeah, but he didn't... He, in 2009, he finished um, third instead of... And like in both 2007 and 2016, he finished second. So, like, I was more, like, looking at those. But I get what you mean. I don't know. I think 2007, he finished second by one point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, 2007 was somewhat of his own, I say. Like, bending it in the pit lane in China. But yeah. 2016 was definitely just unlucky for the engine in uh, Malaysia. Like the right. famous, uh, oh no, no, that thing. That was not a Lewis, for sure not. Right. Uh, should we go on to uh, another one of the conversations here? Um, yeah, we got more. Should we talk about Bristol? Bristol. Uh, there's not much to talk about other than that's currently, as we record this, they are currently racing. Uh, I heard that it's that there are a lot of incidents right now, which is understandable since they haven't driven on dirt track since a long time. Like it's been like more than um. Of course, but, um, right. you know, as you go into NASCAR, right, yeah. uh, you have to work on, uh, like, you have to go on to, like, some dirt series, I believe, or am I wrong? I don't think you exactly <laughs> need dirt series. Like, Not need it. I'm quite, I'm quite sure um, someone has Hayley Deegan, like the one we all know from TikTok, that Cargill, you know, that one. Yeah. Uh, we... I don't, I don't think she went into dirt, but I'm quite sure Kyle lost, like the big names in the Cup Series, the highest series, basically, in NASCAR. They all have some experience on the dirt uh, racing. Yeah. I would uh, definitely recommend watching uh, NASCAR when you can. Like, I, I understand with time zones for Europeans, and especially for you in the Middle East, it's tough to uh, follow a spot as NASCAR, which is based in America. But if you ever have the chance to maybe re-watch a race or something, or you're able to stay up long enough for it, then you should definitely watch something. So definitely the Daytona 500 and um, the, the, the the Geico 500 are definitely one of the good races those years. And all the other races are amazing as well. Like the, the NASCAR racing... like a tiny Geico bias, but we move. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, the... The, the racing might be a bit less organic than in F1 because you have like stuff as the stages and um, the playoff stuff. So, you know, it's a bit of, it's, well, it's Ameri- the American way with a bit of, you know, there has to be drama in some way. And they do often have drama in NASCAR. So if you want a close title fight with a, always close back and someone, and always a different winner of most of the time, then yeah, watch NASCAR. I think that's a good uh, take. Yeah, honestly, like, series like NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, uh, they're all just amazing series. Like, you have to get, in, like, you have to at least watch one of the races. Like, personally, I watch back NASCAR, I watch back IndyCar. Uh, IMSA, I try and watch it back, but, you know, long races. Uh, I uh, do, like, IMSA races sometimes. I'm racing. Uh, 
Yeah, on iRacing. Yeah, yeah. IMSA is great. The cars are great, you know. Uh, the DPI class is amazing. Uh, you know, I like how like close it is and like I like the competitiveness, the speed, what the cars are exactly, and that just makes it really, really just an amazing series. And series in the US are like very underrated. I think the uh, European racing uh, series makes uh, overshadows the American race series a bit. Like F1 and uh, F1 is, I think, globally a really known sport among the motorsport fans, you know? Especially, Not just motorsport fans. Uh, everybody knows F1 at this point. A uh, lot of people. Yeah, do. a lot. But uh, I think definitely in Europe, you so, some people don't even know what an IndyCar is. So they don't even know what IMSA, that IMSA exists, you know? They m- might think it's part of the WEC series, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, uh, I think uh, American gra- American series are great to, to watch. Like, the Indy 500s are, oft- are, like, always amazing. There's always something happening. The 24 Hours of Le Mans, one of the most amazing experiences you can ever have in your life as a motorsport fan. Yeah. And well, the Daytona 500 is uh, one to uh, never for miss. And I think all those races are definitely closer and better than the Monaco GP they have in F1. Let's face it. The Monaco GP is uh, not my favorite GP to say the least. Uh, well, it's definitely. Like very, very overrated and uh, yeah. I think the problem oh. the problem with Monaco is it's just too tight for today's cars, and I think that today's cars are too big for most circuits. No. Uh, yeah, today's cars like they're not what they used to be. They're just not, you know, they don't have that, you know, those loud engines. But I don't, I don't, I don't really think they need loud engines to be honest. No, no, uh, I'm not that. Yeah, <laughs> those loud engines, like they had a lack of downforce, or what compared to what we have now, they have a less downforce, so their racing was more like closer and tighter, and was hard, like it was harder to manage around like streets like Monaco. And that made the race like kind of more impressive. And of course, don't get me wrong. This is the Monaco's races are extremely impressive to do. But uh, you know, back in the day, those were like you know you had those you know the manuals and not the sequentials that they have now. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to like clutch and they'd have to use so many different techniques to just get around the track, which made it ten times better. Yeah, I think um, I I don't personally I don't mind uh, um, pedal shifted cars uh, compared to the manual like the hand shifted cars, but um, yeah, there's just I think too much error and too much dirt. Yeah, overtaking is hard, and uh, I I think a big role into this is the tires. Like it's uh, today's modern Formula One is literally just managing tires and just you know, so try and stay within a gap and hope you can. Uh, take him strategic and it makes F1 more of a team sport but the um, the high the big overtakes happen less often just because you can just overtake them low risk in a pit exactly um, today's F1 is just all strategy and it's just not like what it used to be that's like pass on track that's where you need to do your work it's just a lot of strategy which is impressive still uh, impressive still but you know of course you always want uh closer racing i think some uh, some races like some series as nascar and indycar done great like it's still a strategy that comes to play but way way less uh, influence like it doesn't influence as much like 
uh, in that gun you still have to uh, beat like decide if you want to box under a safety car or a pace car they call it there and in F1 you know you just it's uh, common sense to go in during a safety car uh, these days nearly yeah and uh, but you know series like Formula 3 Formula 4 where you don't certainly need to box or you don't box at all during the race that's that's like open wheel close racing uh, without stopping so no pit stop drama and it's all overtakes on track that matter and you have to also be careful because no one else is stopping so there's no chance to make a mistake and uh, lose your front wing i think f1 doesn't need uh stops or uh, like race with no stops but they don't they don't need these fram more fragile grippy tires they i think the groove tires they used back in when well, back into in uh, 2000 uh to well how long did they use it to, to, to 2008 or something when did they stop using so, well, you know, so, so kind of like the formula e tires where like they're using groove street tires but of course they need to be they need to be more high performance for Formula One, but uh, you know, uh, since the Formula One regulations are like gonna change, the cars are gonna be slower, easier to follow. I think uh, it's a perfect time for them just to go for grooved instead of just those. I, I personally, slicks. I personally don't see him really run uh, groove tires as much as I wanted to. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see him do it to be honest. But like the the groove tires in the, the early two thousands were amazing. Let's face it, they. They they fitted the car in some way. Exactly, they 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 fit the car. There were two types of tires. You didn't have to go through that overly complicated process. There was the hard, not the hard. Sorry, there's the drys and the wet tires, and that's yeah, just exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah. it, it plays a massive role as well, like uh, understanding the sport. Um, like if you if the sport is easy to understand, look at something as football. It's easy to understand. Like you literally place eleven people per team, and you just try and kick a ball in a goal. Not a exactly. the, the basics of racing is go go as fast as you can and finish first, you know? We uh, love football slander, by the way. Yeah. We need to make this important. We love football slander on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but uh, something as F1 needs to be more easy to understand for the younger audience. So, stuff as Drive to Survive gives more an insight in the sport, like behind the scenes. But it's, it does a shit job as telling or informing uh, new fans into the technical part of the sport. Exactly. And uh, the thing is, like, uh, you know, as you can see with Formula One and stuff and Drive to Survive, Drive to Survive, honestly, it kind of gives you that background, but they change a lot of the things for story, and that's not something I just really like. I mean, no one, does. I don't think anyone likes um, a story that, like, if you want to, if you want a sports story, I know Drive to Survive is not meant to be, like, a complete uh, look back at the season it's more like to attract new fans but i think they do it they take it the wrong way with the with creating fake drama i think but they the thing they need to do is make graphics easier to uh, understand like the interface etc that's a bit weird to understand at first and just like strategies need to be more clear i think right right and uh, you know uh Especially, like, if you want to look for something to watch about F1, I'd definitely go with a movie like uh, Hunt, I think it's called. Is it called Hunt? The one about Nicky... Yeah, Rush, sorry. It's about Hunt. Yeah, so Rush. I think there's one about Ayrton Senna. Like, those are definitely the good ones. But, uh, you know, actually, 
you know, the podcast is running pretty well. I think we should go on to our final subject, uh, okay. the MoGP uh, yeah, kind of race and the last lap drama. Yeah. The, the, I, mean, I think it was the Yamaha or Suzuki. Yeah, the Suzuki uh, went really wide in the last, uh, yeah, it, in last corner. Completely missed the apex, went wide, went on the marbles and just the two Ducatis, instead of trying to fight each other into the last corner, they just worked together. Uh, they passed him, not even on like the corner, on the exit, the, the, the Ducatis just, even from the start, they just had seemed to have a superior engine, just a faster car. And even the commentator said, like, it seemed as if the Suzuki's and the Yamaha's hadn't even put their like uh, bikes into first. They hadn't even launched. And uh, you could see throughout the whole race, of course, the Yamahas and the Suzukis closed in on them, but still the Ducatis were in a class of their own in terms of like down the straight. And that's somewhere in Qatar, of course, uh, where they're going to dominate. And I think next week they're also going to dominate and they're going to do amazingly in this season. It's definitely a season to watch as well. Yeah. I'm personally not a fan of uh, MotoGP. I uh, never were to be honest. Um, you know, it's just not my thing personally, but, you know, uh, if it's an exciting season, then you better have watched it if, if it's your thing. But I've seen, like, how the Suzuki went wide there. It was a bit odd, like, you had a good uh, last, um, yeah, you have a good race, and then you run wide, and then you run wide. Yeah, that, that must be going for him to go, you know, last lap. P3, make a move into P2, and then just, you're going for it, you're going for it, you're going for it, and of course, this is motorsport, you miss one apex, and ah, that's just cutting, and I think he saw it coming, and just, you know, of course, you knew the Ducatis were fast on the straights, and he just, the nerves got into his head, and he ran wide, and just couldn't collect it for the exit, and uh, yeah, that essentially just messed him up. It's a mistake that happens, uh, you, you just try and move on, I guess. Uh, yeah. you, you never know what's inside of the driver's head. You just, you they they probably just uh, think about it for a moment, think what went wrong, analyze it, and they move on. I think that's yeah, what, of course. Um, they always just look at it, see what you did wrong, and just go on after that, and make sure you don't make the mistake at the next race if there's a similar corner. Or I'm pretty sure this week's gonna be a double header, of course. So make sure they don't make the mistake another time and uh, move on. Yeah. Hope for a better week next time. Well, that was it for the, today's um, podcast. We'll look forward to seeing you again back at our uh, More Sport Junkies podcast. Thank you.